Hi, I'm Lolly Daskal, and you're listening to Leadership Biz Cafe. Hi, everyone. This is Tamir Nasir. And on today's episode of Leadership Biz Cafe, I'll be talking with my friend, Lolly Daskal. Lolly is the president and CEO of Lead From Within, a global consultancy that specializes in leadership and entrepreneurial development. In addition to her work on her award-winning leadership blog, Lolly's writings have appeared in the Harvard Business Review, Inc.com, Fast Company, and Psychology Today. Among her numerous awards and accolades, my favorite has to be the one she received from the Huffington Post, who called her the most inspiring woman in the world. She has a new book out called The Leadership Gap, What Gets Between You and Your Greatness, which will be the focus of our conversation today. So, hi, Lolly. Welcome to the show. I'm so happy to be here. We finally did it. We made it. We finally <laughs> did it. <laughs> uh, for those who are listening, Lolly and I have known each other for several years, and so it's just a genuine pleasure to have someone who I know I've been reading their writings, to have them on the show, to share their insights. So let's get this ball rolling, and uh, Lolly, and address the crux of your book, which is also the title of your book, and that is something you call The Leadership Gap. So, Lolly, what exactly is this gap, and how is it manifesting itself in today's leadership? Okay, those are three questions. So number one is the leadership gap is something that exists within all of us. I have found that we have seven archetypes that, that reside within us. These archetypes have seven virtues, and sometimes when we're challenged, sometimes when we're stressed, sometimes when we're stuck in our lives and in our business, what happens is, is that we don't know what that is. We don't know why we can't take ourselves to the next level. We don't understand why we got to a certain place and why we're not, you know, um, expanding or growing or what is it that we're stuck and what I have found that within those seven virtues and archetypes that I've identified there is a leadership gap there's a polarity of character that keeps you stuck that keeps you in a gap and if we don't know what they are you can't take yourself to the next level so that's why it's called the leadership gap what gets between you and your greatness Right. And there's one thing interesting, too, that you mentioned in describing these gaps is you talk about them, how they tend to be uh, made up of our emotions, our memories and or our thoughts that, you know, we feel bad or guilty about. And consequently, we try to hide them from ourselves and from others. Absolutely. I always tell my clients, what you don't own, owns you. And so the things that you feel are your biggest weakness, the things that you are most ashamed of, most people try to put on a mask. But what they don't understand is that the more they try to hide behind them, the more they are revealing. And in the book, I actually talk about quite a few leaders that have tried to hide behind their leadership gap and really everybody else in their organization and their board and through HR knew that they had a leadership gap and the only person who didn't know was the leader themselves. Now, you just mentioned before how in your book you talk about what you've identified as being the seven leadership archetypes. Now, obviously, we don't want to go through all of them because, I mean, each of them is very weighty, but just to give a feeling for our, our uh, listeners what are those seven archetypes that you're speaking of? Just really briefly, and then we're just going to dive into one in our so discussion today. Are, 
Absolutely. So what I'll do is I'll talk about the leadership archetypes, but then it would be great to explore one of them and then find out what the leadership gap is. In order to really remember this system, I call it a rethink system. Rethink is an acronym for the seven archetypes. The reason I call it rethink is because most leaders do a lot of thinking. They think they know. They think they don't know. They think. They analyze. That's what leaders do. And what I found is very important for a leader to excel, for a person to be their best. Sometimes they just have to rethink. Rethink who you are more than what you are doing. So most of the time we are worried about what, when, and how, even why. And what I have found is if we can understand the who, that's how we find our greatness. So let's talk about this rethink system. R is for the rebel who's confident. E is for the explorer who's intuitive. T is for the truth teller who uses their candor. H is for the hero who's courageous. I is for the inventor. Everything that they do, they do with integrity. N is for the navigator who is trusted. And uh, the last one is K, the knight. But the knight is not about gender. It's more about the characteristic of who they are. And they're all about loyalty and serving others. In your book, when you were talking about these different leadership archetypes and their, their negative counterparts, you make the, the astute point that it's not that we as individuals are particularly like, okay, well, you're, you know, for example, you're the knight or you're the truth teller, as it is, we're not basically limited to a fixed set of characteristic behaviors, but that we have a predominant persona, something that we tend to focus on more of our efforts towards or something that matters more to us over others. And so we can find ourselves being demonstrated like you could be, for example, someone who's a navigator, but you also have elements of a truth teller, correct? So... Let's go deeper in that because you're, what you're saying is you're right about what you're saying, but it's even more than that. If you think about these archetypes and their virtues, when, within us, we have confidence, intuition, candor, courage, integrity, trust, and loyalty. These are things that are within us, but they don't always show up. And if they're not showing up, that's when we get in trouble. That's where the leadership gap is. So when you think about these archetypes, these archetypes are situational more than they are a badge of honor. It's like you don't walk around and say, I'm only the rebel, but I'm not a navigator. At times we're the rebel. At times we're the navigator. Sometimes we have to be the hero. So all of these are within us. But who is going to show up in that given moment? That is our choice. So let's now focus on one of these archetypes and just really dive into it. And the one I'd be curious to discuss with you is the archetype you define as being the explorer. So what are those characteristics that define the explorer? How do they view or approach leadership within their organization? I'm so happy you want to talk about that because people, when they hear intuition of a virtue, they, you know, especially a leader, they get, oh, no, 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 I don't want to talk about intuition. It's not something that people really want to talk about. So I'm so happy that you picked the explorer. So the explorer is an individual who goes into uncharted waters, who does things that has never happened before. It's that creative leader. It's that innovative leader. It's that prolific leader. If you start a new venture, if you start a new business, you start a new partnership, you need to have the archetype of the explorer because the explorer's virtue is intuition. 
Most people, when they think about intuition, they say, oh, it's your gut sense, it's your sixth sense, it's your gut feeling. But there's more to your intuition that I talk about in the book, and I would really like to spend some time talking about intuition because I think people – they understand intuition, but research says something so profound that I think it's it's interesting to dive in. Can I take a few minutes and talk about intuition? Absolutely, because that's exactly why I wanted to bring up the Explorer, because intuition in general tends to be fuzzy, right? And like you say in your book, and I'm going to quote a line you write in your book because I really liked it. You wrote, intuition doesn't make us confused. It does not make us doubt. It feels clear and concise. When I read that, I thought that's interesting, because if you were to talk to someone about intuition, it would be hard for them to put their finger on it, and yet we all intuitively understand what we mean by it. Like, we all have that moment where we have a gut instinct, our gut response. We know that. I can't tell you why, but I, I know this is what needs to be done. So guess what I'm going to do now? I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to give you the underlining reason we follow it. It's so clear to us. So think about it this way. In your lifetime, you have experiences, And those experiences, think of it this way, they become little chips in your mind. Every experience that you have becomes a chip. If you read a book, any wisdom that you've gotten from that book becomes a little chip in your brain. When you have a conversation with someone, all the things that you're talking about, all those little sayings, all those little sentences, anything that says, ah, that makes sense, becomes a little chip in your brain. So think of your mind as having all these wonderful little chips of everything that you've ever experienced, every conversation you've ever had, every person that you've met, every book that you've read. And when you have a problem and when you need to do something that you haven't done before, and that's why I mentioned in the book, intuition is letting go of what you know to let something new come in. And it sounds like this. You ask out loud, what should I do in this situation? And then you're quiet and you allow all the chips in your mind to tally up what you need to do. And usually it happens to us in the shower. It usually happens to us when we're taking a walk, when we're working out, when we're doing something else. All of a sudden, something comes to you so strongly and it says, go do it, follow it. Now, we know it's intuition when it's anything less than four words. The moment we add on a fifth word and the moment we use the word because, it's not intuition anymore. And that's what intuition is. It is all the knowledge and all the wisdom that you've accumulated that is now coming to the surface and is giving you the answer without you using your rational mind and your analytical mind. Because if we rely on our rational mind, our And our analytical mind, it's all about the facts and data. And intuition doesn't work on that. It's what you know comes forward and it becomes clear. And in a sense of almost like um, it says, go do it. It's like an action. Go ahead and take action. And this is right. Trust it. Right. And you know what? There's something that you just said there and you did write it in your book, which I think really uh, should be kind of underlined here. And that is that point you made about how intuition it should really just be four words and should not include that one word because. That's the point where we know, all right, now we're kind of have to justify it for ourselves. I'm doing this because now it's no longer intuitive because you're trying to find the answer, the reason, or the rationale. And I think that in of itself is a, the best way to bring clarity to what intuition is, is where you don't need the because because it's a, almost like a fundamental truth. You just know it's the right path, the right course, the right decision, the right choice. 
It just feels right. And you have to trust it. And that's what intuition is about. So let's go back to why the explorer. The explorer is about intuition, right? They're not about controlling things. They're about trusting things. They, they're, for them, it's easy to let go, to let something come in. And that's what makes them really special. That's what makes them very successful at what they do. And that's why I always say an explorer who uses their intuition is leading from greatness. But because they don't have to control, that's what makes them successful. But there is a leadership gap. And the leadership gap is of the exploiter who manipulates Now, you might be saying to yourself, that is so harsh. I'm not an exploiter and I don't manipulate. But the truth is, I've seen this happen thousands of times. When we get stressed, when we feel things are out of control, we try to rein things in. And the way we try to rein things in, even if it's not our intention, we end up exploiting people. We end up manipulating people because we want control. So we want them to do it our way and we want them to think our way. And we want we don't really want to give them a say and we don't want to let go of something to let something come in because we don't trust. If you don't trust, you tend to be someone who exploits people and manipulates people. And it's not something you might be doing intentionally, but you're doing it because maybe that's the only way you know how to do things. And that's why knowing the difference between the explorer and the exploiter. In the book, it it talks how you leverage being the exploiter, right? It talks you how you leverage being a manipulator. So you don't come across that way in your life and in your leadership. It's an interesting point uh, when you bring up the gap, because when you first think about it, right, you think intuition, uh, again, it's that gut instinct, you just go with it. But then to realize that this gut instinct, if we're not paying attention, can also lead us to basically Instead of us doing something to help others, it's really that we're more doing stuff that's basically making things are better for ourselves. Obviously, a lot of us don't. I mean, most people, I'm sure, would be happy to think that we have a very strong in- intuition of what's right, what's wrong. But how do we make sure then, because none of us want to be thought of as being a manipulative leader. So how can we make sure we're addressing this leadership gap between being an explorer or uh, an exploiter? And that's a great question. And the only way, you know, some people say, I don't do that. Mm. Well, then the truth is look around, look around at your team, look around at your business. How do people react to your leadership? How do people talk to you when they talk to you? Do they come and tell you what they need to tell you? Or are they scared to say they made a mistake? Are they scared that you might take advantage of them? Are they scared that, you know, if they come and talk about themselves, you'll only be talking about yourself? There are things that a person can tell if they're not getting where they need to be. There's a way to, you know, most of the time leaders are busy talking. And I always say to my leaders, stop talking and watch and listen. When people talk to you, it's a tell of how they feel about you. So if they feel comfortable, then maybe you're not exploiting them. But if they feel a little antsy around you and they feel a little bit anxious around you and they don't really tell you the truth about everything, maybe there's parts of you that they're scared of because you might be taking advantage of them. You might be using their weaknesses against them. And maybe they feel that not connected enough to you that you're a self-serving leader instead of serving them. In the book, I actually go into more detail how we do this. but. This is a great time and moment to ask yourself, 
do I get for my leadership and my business and my team what I want? And is there something missing? And maybe I'm being an exploiter and I don't even know it. Right. And, you know, the interesting thing, too, is when you were discussing, do people feel comfortable sharing stuff with you? It actually builds on the point you brought up about explaining what intuition is, about how it's those little chips that we collect from the stuff that we read, from the conversations we have. So in a lot of ways, by being aware of those how those conversations happen, of how free people feel in being able to share their insights, that in its way is also what's going to lead you to become, uh, have a stronger sense of intuition, which means you are going to become a better explorer, correct? Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better. Beautiful. Absolutely. Now, intuition is also one of those things that tends to be looked upon as being gender specific, right? We've all heard the phrase women's a woman's intuition. But in your book, you point out how, and I think it's a true of a lot of things, intuition is not one of those inherent traits. So some people are just naturally intuitive and others aren't. That actually intuition is something all of us can cultivate and something that we can develop. Absolutely. I don't think it's gender specific. I really don't. I coach many men that I've taught them how to trust their intuition. And that's the key word, trust. So women tend to trust more their feelings and their emotions, right? And men tend to want to be more analytical and more rational. And that if that is true, how can they trust what they're feeling? So if we can just let go of thinking that feelings are this soft skill, a soft skill and skills are a hard skill, right? It's like my analytical mind is what's most important and not my intuitive mind. If we can let go of that belief, we can get extremely intuitive men as much as we can get women. I don't, I really haven't seen it to be gender specific, but I've heard about it. And I work with leaders all over the world and they're men and I teach them how to be intuitive. In many ways, intuition is also what we often will refer to as being those moments where we have an epiphany, where, like like you said, you'll be walking around, suddenly something just clicks, and I get it. Again, if there's no because after the I get it, it's just I get it. And I think that that's where we can, again, change the narrative around intuition to make it less fuzzy, to make it less thinking about it only in terms of oh, a woman's intuition, but really think this is something that we all have the capacity for. It's how much are we really making the effort to pay attention to it. And as you said, trust it. Absolutely. I think it was Peter Drucker that said, you know, it's a skill that we don't utilize in our leadership. And it's a very important skill. And think about it this way. Leaders have to make decisions all the time and they have to make it swiftly, quickly, and they have to be very decisive. How you can't spend time analyzing things. You can't st- spend time, you know, sometimes I see leaders, you know, they, uh, you know, um, paralysis analysis, right? They get stuck because they're thinking and thinking. We don't have that kind of quality anymore. We don't have that time anymore. And so in using your intuition and trusting it can really make you a stronger leader. Right, exactly. Since we were talking about intuition, we're talking about explorers. In your book, you make the point that how The reason why explorers rely on their intuition is because they use that to help them test the boundaries, to kind of question the way things are and to explore other options and to basically reject that idea that, well, we have to do it this way because it's always done that way. So how does our intuition help us to basically challenge the status quo and to find those new routes, those different paths to take? Right. So if we go back to what intuition is, right, intuition is it's almost your own personal database within your head. So if you have a problem 
and you let go of the rational mind, it will give you something unique with all those experiences and memories that you have. And that's what that's where you come up with a new idea. For me, it will be something different. For someone listening to this, it will be something else. It depends on who we are and how we approach life and what we've experienced in life. So I, right, it's my chips adding up and connecting the dots to be prolific in something. And that's why what makes us unique. Each one of us, if we're sitting around a room, think about it this way. How many teams of brainstorming team sessions have I sat through? And then you have these ideas that I would never have thought of before. And why they're so great is, is because each person in there has had their own experience, has had their own memories, and they bring with them these prolific ideas and these great ideas. But we have, as a leader, we have to listen. We have to take into account that other people, you know, have diversity, have ideas, have creativity, have innovation, and then you need to grow on that. So I think the best thing that we can do for our business is to hold those brainstorming sessions to allow people to just let go and let, I always say, let's go stream of consciousness. Whatever you're thinking, put it on the whiteboard and then let's connect the dots to create something we've never thought of before. Right. And in your book, just to give people examples of the kind of leaders that we're talking about, or this kind of leadership archetype, you identify some examples of explorer leaders being people like Sarah Blakely, Neil deGrasse Tyson, and Jeff Bezos. So if there are listeners out there who kind of see and they can, they feel like, okay, I'm beginning to identify with that explorer archetype, how do they go about making sure that they really are exhibiting that leadership? What are the characteristics they should be looking out for to really feel like they are identifying with that? Absolutely. So that's a great, great question. And the reason I picked those leaders, because you might not be thinking of them as someone who's an explorer. And so that was very important to take people that you might not be thinking, oh, that's an explorer and that's how they are. So that's why I actually placed some leaders within the book so you can actually think, wow, if they're an explorer, I can be an explorer too. So one of the things is that I think is very important is, is that in order to follow your intuition, to know that you're following your intuition, the explorer has to be the person that is looking to change things, who's looking to improve things, who's looking to put vision into something that a new vision, right? And a new way of doing things. And in order to do that, they have to be able to have a decisive, a specific vision of what it is they want to change. So sometimes it's one thing to say, oh, things need to change. But if you're not specific about what you want to change, you can't tap into your intuition because intuition has a great way of connecting the dots but to exactly what you need them connecting. And so we need to be very specific about what the vision is. Number two is once information comes to you, you need to be confident enough to trust it. It's one thing to have them all the dots be connected and an answer to say, follow it. If you don't follow it, you're not the intuitive leader, right? You're not the person that is using their intuition. And then it's very important is, is that once you have that idea, once you're going to follow it, now you have to be that persuasive leader, that confident leader that can persuade others to follow what needs to get done. So it's one thing to be intuitive. It's another to be an intuitive leader that makes whatever needs to happen, happen. So those are the things that are very, very important when it comes to being an intuitive leader. 
Yeah, that's an excellent point. That's why I like bringing up these examples, because, again, if we're going on intuition, it's a gut instinct. We know it to be true. But while that might be true for us, that doesn't mean others necessarily see where we're going. And that's why I like these examples you give, because you can see that they're the type of leaders who they have a clear vision, as you said, of where it is they want to go, what it is they want to achieve. And because of that trust, we're going to fall along with them. We're going to trust to say, okay, I don't see where this is headed, but I know you have a clarity of mind about the situation, which is, again, what we said about intuition. It's that it provides that clarity. It's not, although conceptually, what we might think of intuition in those fuzzy terms, it actually, when we have those moments of intuition, it actually provides us with clarity. And I think that idea of connecting intuition with being persuasive is so critical to people understanding why this is such a valuable skill set for leaders to have. Absolutely. Think about Jeff Bezos, right? People trust him that he's going to do something magnificent with whatever he does. I'm going to take you to the moon. I'm going to create new cars. People are always looking to him about what he's doing. He uses his intuition and he's persuasive in what he's creating. Right. Absolutely. And even someone like Neil deGrasse Tyson, I mean, the reason why he's garnered so much influence, even among people who have only a passive interest in space, is because of that persuasiveness that he's had where I'm going to, I know this is hard for you to grasp because we're talking about something that's lasted for billions of years. It's, you know, it stretches out onto infinity. These are terms and ideas that it's really hard for us to try to comprehend, but even though he intuitively understands it, it's that persuasive nature he has. When If you've ever seen him speak, you know it's like he draws you in. You get the vision because he has that clarity about what it is he's trying to impart as an idea or as a message. Interestingly enough about him, he made black holes an interest to people. He changed the way science is taught. He made it accessible. That's his, you know, that's the way he persuaded people. He made it accessible. He made it interesting. And I've seen him present and he's a great speaker. And the, the way he presents science is like, I want to know everything that he has to say. Yeah. Right. So he, cha- he, he took knowledge, right? Connected all the dots of all his wisdom and his knowledge. He then had a vision and then he persuasive enough to put it into action to teach others about science and to make it available and accessible to hundreds and thousands of people. Right now we're talking about an archetype where basically it's really about having that self-awareness about the kinds of conversations we're having and how we're using our ability to persuade others. Are we doing it to basically bring people in as Jeff Bezos, Neil Grass, Tyson do and so forth? Or are we basically doing stuff that's from a self-serving perspective? But what was interesting in your book is that for your other archetypes, it also looks at some of the stuff that, you know, as leaders, we're not really comfortable wanting to talk about. And in fact, there's a line that you have in one of your chapters on the archetypes that I found actually, it reverberates even with this explore one. In your chapter on the archetype of the truth teller, you write how when you can admit instead of hide what makes you feel ashamed, vulnerable, or inadequate, you are one step closer to achieving greatness from within. And whether you're in a leadership position or not, I think this could be a daunting task for many of to do, especially in this social media-driven landscape where there's this inherent need to present not just our best selves, but at times our idealized version of ourselves. But if you if you look at people who are in leadership positions, though, the challenge is, is that people are always watching you. They're watching what you say. They're watching what you do and how you choose to react or respond to certain issues or in situations. So in this context of the explorer and using our intuition and understanding the duality between 
having that intuition, but also being able to connect it to a vision that can now persuade people to follow you, even though they might not have that inner intuition that you have, and while at the same time avoiding the manipulator. How do we make sure that we're becoming more accepting and more willing to be open about those inadequacies that we have? And how do we transform that moment of vulnerability where we're like, okay, look, I don't want to be a manipulator, but ooh, maybe I am because I just need to push this through. How do we change those moments where we're having to own up to, whoops, I'm slipping here into that leadership gap? How do we transform that moment of vulnerability into a source of inner strength? What a great question. And in the tell, there's a story in the book, and I think I renamed him Oscar because I had to hide my clients' names. Um, I think it was Oscar. I called him Oscar. Is where Oscar was the kind of leader that led by do it my way or the highway. I'm telling you how to do it. I know best. And he was a real exploiter and manipulator. He didn't use his intuition. He only relied on the facts. If if something was going to be done that was something new, he'd be like, no, we've done it last year. We should just do it again. He liked to play it safe. And the people in his organization were petrified of him, petrified. And we were doing a strategy session, which we do every year to see if we reached our goals. What do we do for next year? And I was sitting in one of the workshops, and it's usually a, a weekly, it's like a five-day workshop. We start off, we see what we did last year, and then we see what we can do new this year. And the workshop the first three days was very painful because everybody was sitting around and listening to Oscar, and Oscar was telling everybody, we're just going to do this, and we're just going to do that, and this is the way we need to do it. And people were glazed over for three days, and I was writing on the whiteboard for three days. Yeah, we'll do this. And I was like... Then one day I just walked over to Oscar. I said, this isn't working. This really isn't working. We can't just call it in like we did last year. And you can't be the one that's telling everybody what to do without input from everybody else. And he's like, no, they all agree with me. I said, no, they're not. They're just petrified of you. And they feel manipulated by you. And he's like, no, that's not true. I said, let's try something new. Why don't you tell them that what we've worked on for the past three days just isn't what you want and ask them for input? And he goes, uh, you know, he was reluctant and he said, I'll try it. And so when everybody came back after the lunch break, I said, so, Oscar, what do you think about what we've come up with? And he goes, oh, I don't really like it. I don't really think it works. And then I turned to everybody else and I said, you know, Oscar doesn't really like it. What do you have to say? And at first, people were really scared to say something. And I said, and I walked over to the whiteboard and I erased everything. I said, we're not using this for next year. It really doesn't work. If you're going to have something change in our organization, we need your feedback. We need your input because together, that's how change happens. Oscar is not the person that's going to make this successful. You are because then you have to take it out to the rest of your team and the organization. And once I said that and Oscar was like, yeah, she's right. Yeah, yeah. Then all of a sudden people started to talk. Well, we need to do this and we need to do that. And I turned to Oscar and I smiled and he's like, oh, I guess you're on to something. And we spent the next two days creating this magnificent strategy and he learned his big lesson that he was a manipulator and he was an exploiter, but he didn't realize it until he stepped out of the story, until he stepped out of being that leader who leads from their gaps. He didn't realize how he was affecting the rest of the team. Right. The other thing I especially liked about your book is throughout this discussion about the different archetypes and the negative sides that these can manifest is how you make it not that we have to basically remove the bad in us, but that we recognize that there is this duality. And we should recognize how these two sides, that when we acknowledge and become more aware of them, they should be working in concert to allow us to become that better version of who we can be. 
And I got to be honest here when, and admit that when I read this idea that was uh, threading through your book, it made me think of that classic Star Trek episode when a transporter accident causes Captain Kirk to be split into two sides, where one was being identified as being the good version of Kirk and the other one was being the bad one. Yet over the course of the episode, Kirk's good side comes to terms and comes to realize that he really needs his bad side because that's what drives him to be more decisive, more assertive, because it pushes him to be that better leader. And I think that idea is summed up in this line you write in your book of how the challenge is to find the value in the parts you think are bad and rethink how they can serve you, which an example you gave of Oscar is exactly what you're saying about how he had to get out of that story so that he could really see what is the environment he's creating for his employees and how he's really not encouraging them to really bring their full insights, their creativity, and the things that they see as being what we should be doing moving forward. So you don't even know – there's something very interesting for everybody listening. I don't know if you know this, but you talked about Star Trek. Even though I've never seen Star Trek, my biggest mentor is Joseph Campbell. Oh, okay. Joseph Campbell wrote The Hero's Journey, and Star Trek is based on The Hero's Journey. And so how we go through what we go through in life, and it's about – so I, that's what Star Trek is based on. So there's, it's not a coincidence. This is another intuitive conversation where I'm connected through Joseph Campbell. I've studied everything that he's ever written and I've applied it to my system. You now had an experience with Star Trek and how the synergy comes together. This is an intuitive conversation, by the way, everybody listening. <laughs> <laughs> To wrap things up here, Lolly, I have one last question for you, and that is, in our discussion here about the explorer archetype and the power of intuition and how we should be mindful of avoiding falling into the trap of becoming uh, the manipulator who's really, instead of, okay, I want to do what's best for my employees, my organization, that's really about, okay, what's going to help me just get things done for me? It makes me feel like I'm progressing. Uh, what is the one key takeaway you want to leave our listeners with? What's that one message you want them to take with them and apply to how they show up to lead those under their care? So the the name of the book is The Leadership Gap, What Gets Between You and Your Greatness. And for over three decades, every time I get a new client, I always say to them, greatness lies within you. And they always look at me like, what is she talking about? <laughs> right? Like, what does she mean? And throughout my coaching with them and my relationship with coaching and working with their organization, I always let them know that at any given moment, we could choose who we want to be. Oscar had a choice in that moment who he was going to be. He let go of the exploiter and the manipulator, and he trusted me enough to get him where he needed to go. And so for every single person that's listening is you have greatness within you and you have the choice within you to choose greatness at all times. If you learn the rethink system, you could choose which archetype you need to be. And if you don't choose the archetype that gives you greatness, most likely you're leading from your gaps, even if you don't know it. So it's very important to learn the system to realize that greatness does lie within you and you always have a choice to lead from there. I think that's a great message that you impart because, you know, again, there's that notion that a lot of us can have that we're a product of our circumstances, but as you point out, what we really are is a product of the choices we make through those circumstances we find ourselves in. So we do have that choice of how we wish to not only live our lives, but how we choose to lead those under our care. How it's, it's how we show up every single moment. It's not even leading others, but how we lead our own lives 
and how we interact with others. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you, Lolly, for the thought-provoking discussion in the book. As I said at the start of our conversation, we've been interacting and engaging on social media for many years now. So it's truly been a pleasure having you on my show and discussing your insights and ideas on leadership. So thanks again, Lolly, for this wonderful discussion and conversation. Absolutely. It was a privilege and a great pleasure. I've been talking with Lolly Daskal about her new book, The Leadership Gap, What Gets Between You and Your Greatness. To learn more about Lolly's book and her work, visit the webpage for this episode at TanvirNasir.com. And that concludes this episode of Leadership Biz Cafe. I hope you enjoyed this conversation, and as always, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what we discussed in this episode, as well as what topics you'd like to hear in future episodes of this show. You can do this by leaving a comment on this episode's webpage, or by filling out the contact form at TanvirNasir.com. And if you found my show on Google Play, iTunes, or Stitcher Radio, I'd appreciate it if you could take a moment and please rate my show. Until next time, this is Tavernasir. Thanks everyone for listening. <laughs>